Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. What a joy to be with you for this first Saturday in the year 2013. We've got much to talk about. Last time we were together here on Prophecy Today weekend, we looked at 2012 and then kind of glimpsed into 2013. Well, we're in 2013 now. A lot of activities unfolding. Some of them indicate that what happened in 12 is going to play a role in setting up everything for 2013. I'm going to be in St. Petersburg, Florida. The Liberty Baptist Church will be there Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then we go over to Word of Life, Florida. We'll be there for about nine days. Looking forward to that. We are looking forward to seeing all of our friends in Florida. So come along and join us. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. You can see our schedule. It's posted there, giving you directions as to how to get to the meeting and everything else. By the way, on this broadcast, we have some very important conversations. So you want to keep the dial set right where it is and eavesdrop as we talk with our broadcast partners. Here's the first one. Ken Temmerman, he covers geopolitical activities for us across the world. He is so knowledgeable of what is happening in this world. We're so grateful when he can join us. And Ken, let me talk to you about this. Iran is staging a maritime war game in the uh, Strait of Hormuz, but at the same time, they are involved in a, a cyber war type of operation as well. They're trying to uh, prepare for that. It's a drill. Uh, talk to us about these two types of drills going on with Iran at a major place in this world. Well, uh, Jimmy, this is taking place in the Strait of Hormuz, which is the choke, choke point for uh, about uh, 25% of the world's oil exports uh, that travel by sea. And it goes through that very narrow uh, uh, strait uh, between Iran and Oman uh, in the coming out of the Gulf of the Persian Gulf. Uh, this is the first time that I know of that the Iranians have actually incorporated a cyber warfare attack in one of their naval war games or any of their war games for that matter. And it's uh, it's a very interesting development. I can tell you, I took part uh, a little over a year ago in a U.S. Army War College three-day war game uh, looking at cyber warfare. And uh, the United States military is not yet prepared to deal with cyber warfare. So to see that the Iranians are incorporating this into their active military plans is uh, very, very disturbing, and it, uh, I hope, will get the attention of U.S. military planners. Now, these maritime war games going on there in the Strait, You've said that really that's going to be an exercise in futility if Iran tries to do something because our naval forces out there could take them out pretty quickly. Uh, yes, or when, you, when you're dealing with conventional military. But, you know, it all depends uh, how much risk the Iranian regime, uh, the Islamic regime, is willing to take. Uh, if they're willing to uh, risk all-out war or put a lot of their assets at risk, they could inflict some very serious damage on us. For example... Uh, if they decided to use their ground-based missiles, uh, they could attack uh, U.S. warships uh, using those missile batteries. We know, for example, that they have uh, tested a uh, ground-launched anti-shipping ballistic missile that is guided from the air, a bit like an AWACS would guide our air assaults. Uh, this is something that they've developed uh, jointly with the Chinese government. Um, and that is something that was specifically designed to target our aircraft carriers. So if they could sink an aircraft carrier, 
uh, in the Persian Gulf. And, and excuse me for, for laughing, it just sounds so outrageous and absurd, but it's something I can tell you that they would love to do. If, if they could accomplish that kind of thing, they would do a very... Uh, inflict a very major blow on U.S. military prestige. As you can tell by the conversation, that's a hot spot in this world. We'll continue to cover that story. Bashar Assad in Syria seems to be hiding. It looks like he's really concerned about being assassinated, and things are not uh, getting better. They're getting worse there in Syria. Over 60,000, as I understand it, 60,000 Syrian people have been killed in this civil war. Bashir on the run? Yeah, well, the death toll, for, to, to start with, Jimmy, is just extraordinary. And this we're getting, that, that figure comes from the United Nations, and, uh, you know, they, they try to keep some kind of tally on this. It's a brutal, bloody civil war that's been going on now for a year and a half. And, and Assad does appear to be increasingly isolated. He is, he is not making public appearances, as he had done just a couple of months ago. He's not out on national television. He will meet with um, uh, visitors, people who come from the United Nations or from some of these organizations that are trying to broker a peace deal. Uh, he'll talk to them in private in his presidential palace. But, you know, the reports that we're hearing now is that he, he sleeps in a different place every night. It's reminiscent a bit of Saddam Hussein in the waning days of his uh, dictatorship. And uh, Assad seems to fear his own shadow, uh, is increasing his security detail and uh, making sure that he's not anywhere visible to the Syrian people during daylight hours. Yes, he's, it looks like to me he is on the run. And, but everybody that I hear reporting from that area, the analysis from all of these commentators indicates that he's not going to step down. He's going to stay there in the saddle until they take him out, so this may be the next step. Let's go south of Israel. That was north of Israel. South of Israel, uh, Mohammed Morsi, the president of Egypt, has a military aide, or an aide of some type, maybe political, not military, who is advising him on Israel, and he has made the statement, Israel is going to cease to exist within the decade. I know that's not the president of Egypt making the statement, but it's somebody very close to him. That's pretty shocking. Well, and, and Morsi has said similar things in the past. I mean, this is the Muslim Brotherhood's official doctrine, uh, that they will help to eradicate the state of Israel. And by the way, it's almost identical to what Iranian President uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad says, uh, that Israel will be wiped from the face of the map. The, the man who said that Esam el-Aryan is a advisor to uh, President Morsi, he's a top Muslim Brotherhood official. So this really is the Muslim Brotherhood doctrine. They would like to see the, the uh, Jewish state of Israel disappear and for it to be replaced by some kind of you know, non-sectarian Muslim Jewish state. Uh, uh, but you have to read the fine print of this. <laughs> they say that anyone, uh, any Jewish person who has come as an occupier will have to go back to where they come from. Uh, the Iranian president, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the Islamic Republic president, said the same thing. And the answer to that is, well, gee, uh, what do you mean, Nazi Germany? People who fled the death camps in Auschwitz uh, and, and fled Nazi Germany, they're supposed to go back to Germany? Are you serious? I mean, this is, this is a, uh, essentially a call to genocide, and we need to acknowledge it as such. Iran has a spy network. The reports are saying they are 30,000 in number. They're spread across the world. I know that this is how they make some of their decisions in foreign policy. 
How about uh, have they reached here into America? Do you know anything about that? Well, they have. And, you know, uh, as, as president of the Foundation for Democracy in Iran, which is at Iran.org, I have been working with defectors from Iranian intelligence for many, many years and people who still have sources inside uh, active, you know, ongoing Iranian intelligence operations. And it's crystal clear to me, I mean, uh, they, they run operations in Los Angeles, in Westwood, which is the Persian district of Los Angeles. They're very, very active there. Uh, number one, they're trying to keep track on the Iranian-American community, which is uh, quite large out in California, uh, at least six or 700,000, if not more. And then they want to uh, lay the groundwork for uh, terrorist attacks should they be called upon to carry those out. Uh, we've talked about that a couple of times on air. There uh, are pretty serious indicators that uh, Hezbollah operatives have been able to get across uh, our southern border from Mexico. Uh, they've been captured by U.S. border control officials and put in jail. Uh, and, and for the Iranians to be operating these networks in the United States, I think, should cause us all concerned. I've tried to get the FBI engaged uh, in tackling this. Uh, we're going to see them again openly operating in June of this year when they hire uh, ballrooms and hotel rooms around the country so Iranian-Americans can vote in the sham presidential election that they will hold in June of 2013. That is all done by these networks, and they are, they are very strong, they're very active, and they're well-funded. And I think America had better wake up to that issue. Well, there's a study out, and I know this has been a part of your heart as you've traveled throughout the Middle East. Uh, Christianity seems to be disappearing in the Middle East. That's what the study is saying. Is that true, and is it a part of a, a whole plan by the Muslim world to make it disappear? Well, it, it makes you sick at heart to see this type of uh, uh, event taking place. The study is uses, ironically, the term that the pro-Muslim lobby has used. They talk about Islamophobia, so this study uses the term Christianphobia uh, to uh, describe the phenomenon that we're seeing all across the Islamic world of driving out Christians and other uh, religious minorities. In other words, giving them the choice of becoming Muslims, of uh, becoming dhimmis, paying the tax, the protection tax, or uh, you know, leaving the country or being put to death. Um, this is one of the original doctrines of Islamic law. It goes back to uh, uh, Muhammad and, and his times. And, uh, you know, we've seen just a dramatic drawdown, uh, a, a flight of Christians from the Middle East. It's been going on for you know, nearly 100 years, but it's accentuated uh, with the arrival of the PLO into um, the West Bank, into Gaza, when Arafat came back in 1994, in January of 94. That marked a mass exodus of Palestinian Christians from that area. The one bright note in this uh, report, uh, Jimmy, is that the Christian population in Israel is increasing, increasing rather dramatically, um, you know, bumping up towards uh, 200,000. And uh, these are mostly immigrants who have come in, but they're also Palestinian Christians who are living protected by the Israeli state uh, in places like Nazareth and uh, northern Israel. Well, that is a plus as far as the report is concerned. Uh, but I've read the last chapter, and Christianity is not going to totally disappear. That's absolutely for sure. <laughs> Ken Timmerman, and he does bring a lot to the table when we talk to him about geopolitical activities. Ken, thank you so much, my good friend. 
Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Have good. Have a great time in Florida. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a Middle East news update right here. David Dolan standing by to give it to us. All ahead on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here. We're in the area of St. Petersburg, Florida, and we want you to come join us. We're going to have a great time. I'll give you more information about uh, where we are speaking this weekend, actually Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then we're going over to Word of Life, Florida. We're going to be out uh, around Florida all month long. Uh, the Lord seems to open up the doors for us in Florida <laughs> in the wintertime, and uh, we so appreciate that uh, great opportunity to be in the Sunshine State. Well, we're in the Sunshine State, and we're going to be talking with David Dolan. He's the man who covers the Middle East for us. Uh, David, uh, here's a statement that was made by Mohammed Morsi, who is now the president of Egypt. Uh, a couple of years ago, before he was elected president, he was a part of and a leader in the Muslim Brotherhood. He made a statement that there would be no peace that could be talked about with descendants of apes and pigs. In other words, he was referring to the uh, Jewish state, and he was not going to negotiate any type of peace agreement, albeit there is one already in place. What are your thoughts? Well, that uh, is a phrase, uh, Jimmy, that uh, is contained in the Hamas founding charter. Um, of course, uh, Hamas comes out of um, the Muslim Brotherhood movement in Egypt, and um, it's actually something from the Quran that uh, 
um, a very derogatory statement about the Jewish people. Um, yeah, that uh, that uh, these leaders are using such language. Um, um, the um, um, uh, Regev, Mark Regev, the um, foreign ministry spokesman in Jerusalem, said, "You know, how can we uh, talk peace with people that are using such?" Um, incendiary language against us, a language that is bound to stir up hatred uh, amongst people listening to it. And, um, you know, in, in other words, they are just denigrating us, uh, making us less than human. Um, he was talking actually about um, uh, the Hamas leader's uh, statement in the Gaza Strip, Mashal, uh, 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 just about a month ago when they had their 25th anniversary. But it's the same sort of statement that you just quoted that is just, you know, very uh, inhuman. And, and it means that um, the Jews can be considered easy targets, as Regev said, for, for terror attacks. Uh, a child's life is no more valuable than an adult's life, a female than a male. All Jews should be killed, is what they're saying, and therefore they, um, you know, back these wars. There is a peace treaty in place with Egypt. There is a peace treaty in place with the Palestinian Authority and with Jordan. But um, when we hear such language coming from some of the leaders, uh, it's very, very distressing. And we just had Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday, um, or earlier this week anyway, say that uh, Hamas is poised to take over the Palestinian Authority, and if it does so, uh, that will open a new front, he said, a new war front against Israel. So these are serious issues and serious times for the Israeli people. Now let me just uh, take that a step further, because Hamas is located in the Gaza Strip, the southern portion of modern-day Israel, and Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, they're headquartered in Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem, so that's kind of the center part of the state. Now, having said that, so our listeners could recognize geographically in their mind what we're talking about, the same time this week, Fatah, who is uh, the organization that controls the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of Fatah, was established by Yasser Arafat a number of years ago, and in fact, 48 years ago, uh, when in 1965, and they're celebrating that, and they went to the Gaza Strip. When you get Mahmoud Abbas in the Gaza Strip, I mean, that is a sign of some type of unity, and this is not, this does not bode well for the, any kind of a relationship between the parties. Well, Jimmy, it's, it's even um, uh, more uh, serious than, than sort of a, a unity move. It's basically the Fatah Party, the uh, PLO, the Palestinian Authority, whatever you want to call it, uh, recognizing that Hamas has become so powerful, uh, so popular on the Palestinian street and uh, in the entire region uh, and around the world, really. They, they have uh, support for their sort of maintaining the jihad war. They're not accepting the peace treaty. Uh, they've carried on as if it never existed. Uh, they've used uh, the peace process in some ways. They've run in the Palestinian elections, which uh, were a result of the peace treaty. Uh, they've used them, but then they turn around and say, you know, we're, we're going to destroy Israel, we're going to annihilate Israel. Well, I have to tell you, though, Jimmy, some Israelis think this is a, a good thing. And, and that sounds ironic, but they they would prefer, frankly, to hear their enemies be honest about what their intentions are 
than they would to have some of them pretend to be making peace. And these are, as you know, um, you interview um, uh, many Israelis that hold this view that Yasser Arafat was faking. Uh, he never really meant to make peace, that the Palestinian Authority is, is at best keeping a very, very cold peace going, but really only doing it because the U.S. is financially helping them and, and the European Union and others. And so some say, well, we might as well hear our enemies say, we're out to destroy you because then we can get ready to face them uh, and we won't be confused internally. And, of course, this is why in the elections later this month, uh, Bibi Netanyahu will be reelected, and he takes a pretty hard-line stand on these issues, but he takes a stand that most Israelis today feel is realistic based on what their enemies are saying. And, of course, we have to include Hezbollah and Iran in that package that you, Israel, will be destroyed we're out to do it. Okay, Israel has to listen to that. Terrible things to hear, but at least they can prepare. Yeah, I kind of agree with what you're saying. It's better to know what your enemies really mean and what they're really thinking than just to have some type of subterfuge uh, propagated upon the world. Well, in light of that, the Palestinians, a couple of weeks back, uh, someone in the authority made this statement that uh, the Israelis were getting ready to go up on the Temple Mount, rebuild the third temple. Meanwhile, just this last week, a Jordanian minister said the exact same thing over in Amman, Jordan, uh, that the Israelis are planning to uh, build the third temple there on the Temple Mount. This is a way of inciting the Palestinians, and has it not been that way for a while? Oh, yes. Uh, I've uh, witnessed... Uh, live uh, quite a few riots and and uh, upheavals that have resulted from um, rumors going out sometimes calls over mosque loudspeakers in one case in uh, in uh, 1991 I believe that was or 1990 we had 17 Palestinians killed that day on the Temple Mount because they the call was for them to all rush up there and protect the mount quote unquote because the Jews were on their way to build the, the temple. Well, I mean, it was ridiculous. The the Israeli police are there, and, you know, this, it, it, if and when Israel rebuilds the temple there, it will have to be part of some larger deal. They're not just going to do it some night in the middle of the night. And yet um, uh, some of my Arab friends will even uh, admit to this, that the wilder the rumor, the more likely people are to, to run with it in, in the region. And uh, this this has been observed by other uh, Arabists who've studied the Arab world over the years, that there, there, this tends to be the case. So, um, you know, the Israelis just have to deal with that. But um, certainly there's a lot of Israelis, as you know, that would love to rebuild the temple. And uh, it is certainly a goal that many have, but uh, not something that's going to just happen you know, uh, overnight, and for the Jordanians to be talking about this is is not helpful because they they pretty well know. I mean, if Moshe Dayan had made a different decision in 1967 and recommended that Israel keep total control of the, over the Temple Mount and 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 uh, erase the mosque there, they might have gotten away with it at that time because they just won a major victory in the war. But um, they didn't do that. The opposite was the case, and. Uh, today, you know, it, again, it would be something they'd have to do very carefully. It's not just going to uh, spring up overnight. Yes, indeed. Ultimately, God's Word does say there will be a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but as David said, it's not going to be there tomorrow morning. 
Uh, David, uh, 30 seconds, if you will. The report is out that there are now 6 million Jews living in Israel, but that's still a very small number among 350 million Arabs or Muslims surrounding them. Well, it is. It's, um, uh, it's still becoming the center of the Jewish world for the first time in 2,000 years. Um, I mean, Israel has always been the center of their faith, but a majority of Jews on earth are now living in Israel, just a bare majority, but more and more come every year. So uh, this trend is going to continue, and it is uh, another fulfillment of the Word of God. Absolutely tangible evidence. You can get up and touch a Jew if you live in Jerusalem like uh, David and I have for many, many years, and it's just like touching the face of God. David, thank you so very much. I appreciate your input always and hope to be able to talk with you next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, the Palestinian media is making some statements that you need to know about. It's a part of that propaganda machine that we've been talking about. Itamar Marcus, head of Palestinian Media Watch, he is standing by. We will go to him, and we'll talk with him about the Palestinian media and what it's really saying to their people, not to the world, to their people. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. So glad to have you here now for our second hour. Some very important conversations. You do not want to change the dial. Keep it where it is. We'll give you information that will assist you in understanding really the details behind the headlines that you're reading and see how they work actually into a scenario that can be found written by the ancient Jewish prophets. It's called God's Prophetic Word. Bringing now to these microphones, Itamar Marcus, he heads up an organization called Palestinian Media Watch. Their web address, palwatch.org, his team, and most of them have as their mother tongue, at least where they were born in the countries from which they've come into Israel, the Arabic language. So they can interpret what is being said in the Palestinian media, the electronic media, and read from the printed page and give us the details exactly as well. Itamar, thank you so very much for being available. I want to talk to you about Mahmoud Abbas's statement. He said that 2013 was going to be the year for Palestinian independence. Now, going back to November the 29th, 2012, that's when the United Nations General Assembly 
gave state status to the Palestinians. And as I understand it, in the UN, they're now referring to Mahmoud Abbas as the president of Palestine. And they've gone ahead as if, really, Palestine is an official state, which is not. But what about this year, 2013? How does Abbas believe he's going to be able to bring about Palestinian independence? And what are they saying in the Palestinian media about that? Well, I would say since um, the nineteen, the end of the nineteen nineties, Arafat was was saying this year is going to be the year of our independence, and this year is the year of our state. Uh, one of the things that uh, dictators do to keep in power is they constantly uh, are creating these uh, this great optimism and promises, especially when they haven't accomplished really anything. Uh, this uh, this having the UN state vote is actually one of the first real big accomplishments of Mahmoud Abbas uh, for the Palestinians, and um, he's going on a sort of a wave now, and with that wave, he's trying to in- create greater anticipation for, for more things, but it's really, it's not that he has any kind of a plan, and it's not that he has any kind of, uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's rhetoric to create a sense of, uh, my leader is powerful, and my leader can accomplish things, but it's really not based on anything. Well, what is Abbas thinking about election? He's going to, I think, have to call elections here for the Palestinian Authority pretty quickly. I understand that there are those in Hamas located in the Gaza Strip who are separated from Fatah, which would be um, the organization or the the section of the Palestinian body politic that Mahmoud Abbas controls they're not together. How is Hamas going to play into what may be developing in 2013? Well, the Palestinian Authority, as you say, has been split between Hamas rule and Fatah rule for, for, for a number of years now. One of the things that they've been doing to enable the having of elections is they've been having unity talks between the Fatah and the Hamas. They've been going on for a number of years now. Uh, and uh, they have usually a few intensive weeks or months of, of, of talk about unity, and then it it all blows up, and uh, and then they st- and then there's nothing for for months uh, or even a year, and then they'll come back again. And they'll talk about it because of the war in Gaza, which the Hamas presents as a victory because they were able to shoot missiles toward uh, that landed in the Tel Aviv area and that landed in, in Israel's major cities. They're feeling very optimistic. Fatah is feeling optimistic because of the UN vote. It's giving the two of them enough confidence to be able to talk about unity. And there have been some serious talks now for the first time in many years about unity. Uh, If they do achieve the unity, one of the conditions is that they're going to have general elections. And instead of having two heads, you know, the Hamas head in Gaza, they'll have one head, one united leadership over both the Gaza Strip and Judea and Samaria. That's their plan. Um, but like I say, it depends on whether they'll be re- able to reach unity. One of the reasons they're not reaching unity is that Abbas wants all of the uh, soldiers of Hamas in Gaza to be under his one army, one Palestinian Authority uh, army, uh, and not independent. And Hamas says, we'll, become, we'll, we'll join you in, in, in unity, but we're not going to do that by giving up our arms. So that's the biggest, uh, the biggest stumbling block right now, because everything else is really rhetoric. I know uh, everybody wants to be able to control all the weapons. Right. I know that right after uh, the situation at the United Nations, November the 29th, 
Hamas said they were putting together the military for the Palestinian state. They were developing a ministry of defense. How strong is that uh, Palestinian army, whether you combine the two with Hamas and Fatah or if you just have one alone? Is is it very formidable as a military? It's not formidable as a military for fighting another army because uh, it has really no tanks and no armored divisions, few minor vehicles. It's not a force that could uh, accomplish anything on the frontal attack. It's a, what it significantly has and will be increasing every day is its, its quantity of missiles. So it can, it, can, it can damage Israel by shooting missiles. Most of their missile supply was either used up or destroyed during the previous war, and I'm sure the day the war was over they started sending more missiles in from, uh, from Sinai. So they're going to renew their missile, the missile uh, potential, but that's that's not really um, a strong army. Uh, Fatah is the same thing. Fatah has uh, just uh, an army made up of, uh, of people carrying Kalachnikovs. So neither of them have much of an army. When the two have fought it out, Hamas proved to be much much stronger and defeated them in Gaza. If Israel were not protecting the Fatah today, there are many people who say that Hamas would take over the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, just as easily as they took over Gaza. So that Abbas is, is actually playing an interesting game. He complains all the time that Israel is still having soldiers patrolling all through Judea and Samaria, including within the Palestinian cities at night, uh, making arrests of Hamas people. But he realizes, and he thanks Israel privately, because otherwise uh, he would lose all of his power and we would just have a Hamas state in both Gaza and Judea and Samaria. That's an interesting game going on. We're going to have to watch the gamemanship between these two leaders to see how it does develop in 2013. I read a report, Itamar, uh, that the Palestinians are going to outnumber the Jewish people in Israel by 2020. Uh, Is that going to cause any difference with the demographics changing? Will uh, there be a, a problem as far as the Jewish people are concerned? Well, those figures are really Palestinian figures, and they're based on uh, a lot of exaggerations by the Palestinian Authority. So, for example, just in Jerusalem alone, the Palestinians count all of the Israeli Arabs in Jerusalem, which are a few hundred thousand, I think 300,000 Israeli Arabs in Jerusalem, they count them as Palestinians. Israel counts them as Israeli Arabs. So when the Palestinians are counting uh, Arabs of... um, of Israel and, and their own, they actually get an extra 300,000 just there alone. In addition, they've also exaggerated. Uh, this has been shown by a number of, of demographic studies. They've exaggerated by probably over a million the population uh, in uh, Judea and Samaria, and they do this primarily because of the foreign funding. Uh, they tell European countries that they um, that they have you know x so many children in school and x many people. Uh, so then they uh, demanding or asking for for further foreign assistance. So um, the the figures um, are probably not correct. In addition, we've been hearing since, I would say, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, we're always hearing about this terrible demographic situation Israel's going to be in. In fact, Israel is probably the only country in the world, certainly the only Western country, where the birth rate has actually been rising in recent years. Uh, and it's not just amongst the more religious in Israel, uh, who tend to have larger families. It's also amongst the non-religious in Israel. 
uh, we're close to having four people a family. I know in the United States it's around around the two, a little bit over two. Many European countries are below two. I think in Russia it's a little bit like it's just a little bit over one. Uh, so that Israel up at four is a sign of a very, very healthy a healthy country. People are optimistic, and, and people are and it's going up, like I say, amongst all segments of Israeli society. The Arab population is, is going down. That is, the birth rates are going down. Uh, one of the reasons the birth rates were very high is because people weren't educated, were not educated, and in general, in uneducated countries, the birth rate is much higher. And both, especially Israeli Arabs who get full education like all Israeli Jews do, uh, their birth rate has plummeted. It's also just about four now, a little bit over four, and uh, they had been up much, much higher just a few years ago, up at seven or, or eight. So they, they are, their birth rate is all the way down. So that this these demographic predictions are based on um, really a lot of wishful thinking, I think, on the part of the Palestinian Authority. All these prophets of doom, you know, who warned about this for years, it never happened. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you something else that happens. Every once in a while when the Israeli population is faltering a bit, we get a massive immigration of people. We had it from the Soviet Union where a million Jews came in. We had a couple of hundred thousand Ethiopian Jews who've come. And uh, there are plenty of uh, Jews around the world with connections to Israel. And, you know, one, you know, another group will be inspired one day and they'll uh, start coming. So uh, I'm not worried so much about those. We have to watch those figures. But I, I trust that the Jewish population will continue to grow uh, and, and keep the same basic percentages that we have today. One final thought I want to bring to your attention. As I understand it, uh, and we had a conversation before we went on the air, Fatah, which is Mahmoud Abbas's faction of the Palestinian people, they have a Facebook page, and January the 1st, was a special celebration. They celebrated a couple of days before, about a week after, celebrating the first terrorist attack, as I understand it, in the beginning of Fatah back in '65. Correct. The the, um, the Fatah every year on January first celebrates the uh, the founding of the Fatah, and the founding of the Fatah was, was the first day that they did a terrorist attack uh, in 1965. Now. In the few weeks before, they've been having celebra- celebrations already on their Facebook page, and I'm just, uh, we're about to release this, and those of your people who, of your listeners, who are subscribers will actually get this in their email, uh, probably on Sunday, uh, and what, what we're showing is all of these pictures, the first picture they'll see is a boy who's probably around six or seven holding a Kalachnikov rifle, which is almost as tall as him, then they're going to see a girl also probably six or seven, holding a Kalashnikov rifle. Then there's a, a masked man holding a Kalashnikov rifle with three Palestinian flags flying over what looks like the Western Wall. Uh, and then you've got two pictures literally glorifying Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein is a Palestinian hero as well, which is very surprising to Americans. So the whole world saw him as a, as a horrific uh, dictator, a terrorist, killed so many of his own civilians. Um, one picture of him, he's smiling, and the text on the picture is, he smiled, meaning in prison, he smiled, take away from the enemy the, the joy of victory. Uh, may Allah have uh, kindness on, uh, on Saddam Hussein. Uh, so this is, these are the Palestinian heroes. Another hero who there's a picture of is Dalal Mughrabi, a terrorist who killed 37 in a bus hijacking. So what we're seeing is that Fatah, the one who's supposed to be Israel's peace partner, uh, sending messages to especially its youth through its page, through its uh, Facebook page. 
that its heroes are people like Saddam Hussein and Dalal Mughabi, mass murderers, both of them. Uh, its youth should be carrying automatic weapons. Um, and uh, that Jerusalem is going to be under Palestinian sovereignty. So there's no promotion of peace. There's no peace message from the Fatah, this myth throughout the United States. Um, and even with some people in Israel, that, that Abbas is a peace partner. It just doesn't bear out in the reality of the world that he is showing to his people, and especially the world that he's showing to his children. Dear friends, this is the reason that we have conversations with Itamar Marcus. He heads up the Palestinian Media Watch, his team, monitors the electronic media, the printed page of the Palestinian media, for the purpose of helping us to have understanding of what really they're doing and saying. And uh, you've just heard the report, so you can understand exactly what their task has been and will continue to be. Palwatch.org, the location. Um, Itamar talked about that newsletter. Go there, sign up for the newsletter. He'll send it to you. Itamar, thank you so very much. Very informative conversation. Appreciate it. We'll do it again. Thank you, buddy. You're very welcome. And wishing all your listeners a great new year. Always a very interesting conversation when we have Itamar Marcus who heads up the Palestinian Media Watch, reporting what actually they are talking about to their own people through their media. It's a joy to have Itamar, a broadcast partner, with us here on Prophecy Today. Another man who we have known for a long time, a broadcast partner, par excellent, he deals with issues that we want to have a Jewish perspective from. His name is Israel Madad. We affectionately call him Winky Madad. He lives in Shiloh. It's one of the oldest Jewish communities in all of Israel, dating back about 3,500 years, uh, right after the Jewish people came in to the Promised Land, and they went up and set up uh, their capital there in Shiloh. By the way, uh, just before we get into our conversation, Winky, uh, talk to me about uh, uh, some of the archaeological finds you've had uh, there in uh, 2012, and what are the prospects for 2013? Well, we're very excited about what's been developing. Uh, we have now three major sites that are under work. When the spring comes, we should open a fourth one on the east-south southeast side. On the northern plateau, uh, which would topographically fit very well the idea of a tabernacle courtyard. Uh, we've dug, uh, excavated uh, the northeast corner, which has brought us um, uh, Israelite homes uh, from the early uh, Second Temple period. And it was just after the return from the exile uh, from Babylon. Uh, leading all the way up to the Bar Kokhba period, which is 130 or so years after the Common Era, uh, which means about a, a thousand years of a Jewish residency, which was unknown before. Well, it sounds like it's developing amazingly. You know, Jimmy, uh, us old people, <laughs> uh, they now have all these newfangled... Uh, computerized equipment uh, with uh, videos and and all sorts of glass that you can see out and not see out. So uh, it should be very, very interesting the way they planned it. Yes, indeed, it should. I know, Winky, this is a blessing to you because early on when this all was developing, I was there with television cameras. We did some interviews with you for Day of Discovery Television and uh, you were a major player in making all that come together. So I'm congratulating you and the people there in Shiloh 
for what is developing in this archaeological site with great significance to looking at the history of the Jewish people in the areas of Judea and Samaria. Now, that leads me to the questions I want to ask you. One of them is there was a conference that was held just recently, may still be in operation, I don't know, but there was an expert there that spoke on the issue of Judea and Samaria and said there was historic biblical rights for the Jewish people to be in Judea and Samaria. Update me on that. Well, actually, it shouldn't have to be an update. Uh, This is something that the League of Nations and the nations of the world uh, decided in 1922. It's just been sort of like forgotten. I guess probably since we talked about archaeology, we're now rediscovering, (laughs) uh, digging out not ancient truths, but relatively modern truths about what the rights uh, of the Jewish people are in the land of Israel. And uh, the conference that I was at, I was there for two hours, I can tell you that we had legal, religious, historic historians, politicians who said, wait a second, there's politics, which is sometimes doing the things you don't really want to do, but you don't have the strength to do or not. And then there's the principal truth, which comes to us not only from the Bible, but from the history that we are uncovering and from the recognition of the nations, just like Cyrus of old that the Jews have the best claim to the land of Israel, and that should be the benchmark and not retreat or withdrawal from territories we legally gained. Well, this was a very important conference that took place there in Israel, and all these players, as Winky was mentioning, came to the table to discuss the rights to Uh, the land of Judea and Samaria. Many times people refer to it as the West Bank. I often say, Winky, that that's a derogatory term. Uh, Develop that just a moment for me, if you will. Why is it a derogatory term when somebody refers to that piece of real estate as the West Bank? Well, first of all, when the United Nations partitioned as a proposal, which actually was never really accepted because the Arabs refused, to recognize that. It was like uh, what they say, a dead letter, uh, even before leaving the table. The very next day, the Arabs attacked us. But if you look at the delineation of the boundaries, you will not find the term East Bank, West Bank, all around the town bank <laughs> in those things, but Judea and Samaria. The term arose when a certain Hashemite kingdom of Jordan illegally, which the United States did not recognize, in fact, no one in the world recognized except England, annexed that territory. So since he was on the east bank of the Jordan, he decided to call that territory the West Bank. When you say derogatory, it means as if there's nothing Jewish to that land, as if Shiloh, Bethel, Hebron, Jerusalem, and dozens of other cities mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Judges, in the book of, of, of Jer- where did Jeremiah the prophet came from? He came from Anatot, the West Bank, right, Jimmy? And uh, and Amos, he came from Tekoa, the West Bank, right? That, of course, it's very wrong, Jimmy, and all our listeners here who know the Bible very well know that's wrong. And so adopting a foreign name for the land of Israel is not a proper thing to do. Hey, do me a favor. Just take your tongue out of your cheek, if you will, as we answer the rest of these questions. Well, as you say, I'm affectionately known as Winky, so I'm sure a lot of our radio uh, listeners know exactly how I'm talking about Yeah, absolutely. Now, you used the term annexed, 
And there is talk about, and some of the leading politicians, especially even in the Likud party, are suggesting that uh, the Israeli government annex part of Judea and Samaria. Now, what would that mean? Well, what it would mean is that, look, we've had, over the past 40 years, we've come up, our side, the Israeli side, have come up with all sorts of plans based on territorial compromise, because we presume that the Arabs are going to territorially compromise, right? So they're going to have to give up something for being a terror organization and launching that 67 war against us with the closing of the straits and the saber-rattling and stuff like that. And we've said, well, either the Lower Jordan Valley is going to be the security border and enlarge Jerusalem. We have settlement blocks. Even the Bush administration in 2004 agreed to the difference on the, uh, in the new realities on the ground and stuff like that. And Mr. Netanyahu has said, I want E1. That's going to be part. Well, you can't hold out these things all the time if the Arabs do not want to negotiate with us faithfully. If they only want 100%, well, we're going to say, very sorry, you're not going to get 100%. And as a first step to that, we're going to apply Israeli sovereignty, like we did in Jerusalem, to certain areas. What those areas are, I don't know. Some people have said all of Area C, where the Jewish communities are, or only to the Jewish communities, uh, their specific zoned areas, or I don't know. But this is one of the ideas. In addition to a new idea, which even Jordan is coming up with, to renew the whole idea of uh, confederation. Which would but be... the Arabs of Judea and Samaria will have their political rights uh, uh, in, in the Jordanian parliament, and they'll live where they are. No one's going to transfer them or move them. Hmm. Very interesting. Possibilities and developments ahead. Uh, thinking about that, what's the long term for uh, the area of Judea and Samaria as it relates uh, with the Palestinian state? Can it all come together? This is a part of what we've just been talking about. But uh, what does it look like, uh, the prospects for Judea and Samaria? As far as my political understanding is, the Arab expectations are much too high for the ability of Israel to meet, especially given the nature and the history of the conflict for the past century. In that case, if they do not want to settle for something less, uh, they're going to get uh, not very much. And it would behoove them to come to the negotiating table and try to get something uh, before uh, uh, everything, from their point of view, disappears, because that's the way the election um, uh, atmosphere is going here in, in Israel, uh, uh, Jimmy. Uh, I think even Mr. Netanyahu is afraid of how many votes the right wing is going to get. That's a very, very interesting development, and I do would, would believe, like you, that Prime Minister Netanyahu is paying close attention as that trend continues to have the upswing. Interesting editorial board decision by the Washington Post, and they're talking about, they came out and basically said this is normally a left-wing newspaper making the statement that Jewish settlements are not the main peace obstacle. There are other obstacles to peace. Would you not, as a Jewish settler, one who lives in the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, say that it's not only not an obstacle to peace, it's an obstacle uh, to war, which is what brings about peace with the absence of. I can only agree with you, Jimmy. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, the Washington Post editorial board has taken that stand. It's not that be, uh, I wouldn't want to say that they're 100% pro-settlement, uh, uh, 
however, they do realize that, A, the American administration uh, agenda uh, in dealing with Israel on this issue has been a complete failure and has uh, never uh, punished verbally or otherwise is, uh, the, the, the Palestinian authorities how, how they've done with Israel. And therefore, they're just encouraging them to up the ante rather than realizing that uh, the way uh, our Arab partners uh, deal with these negotiating issues, uh, they're only encouraging them to be more and more uh, adamant in their demands, more and more demanding in their demands. And, of course, that always puts peace out of the reach. Uh, And that's very unfortunate for them because their personal, uh, private, civil liberties, freedoms, economic advantages could have been much more better dealt with uh, by dealing with Israel rather than having uh, first Arafat and then Mahmoud Abbas come in and rule their lives. And God's Word has the final answer on all of this. The ancient Jewish prophets, even back in Deuteronomy 30, the land covenant promised this land, especially of Judea and Samaria to the Jewish people. That will happen, will it not, Winky? It's been happening. I don't see why that process should stop. That's that's the way it's going. That's the way it's been foretold, and it seems to be working out very well. Winky Madad, he's a special friend to us here on Prophecy Today and a broadcast partner that helps us to understand some of the activities happening, especially in the area of Judea and Samaria and all across Israel. Winky, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon. Okay, Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listening partners. Thank you very much, Winky. What a very informative conversation we had with Winky Madad. Uh, this is a must-listen-to again, probably, to gain everything he had to say to us. Well, thank you for listening to Prophecy Today. We have another half hour left, and in that next half hour, I'll take a look at the book, bringing everything together with what we've already talked about, but also have a conversation with Dr. Rob Congdon. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're at Liberty Baptist Church in St. Petersburg, Florida for this weekend. Actually, we're here all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. It'll be a great time to study God's prophetic word. Love to have you come along and join with us. We'll be dealing with issues that are happening around this world today that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In fact, I'm going to talk with Dr. Rob Congdon in just a moment. That'll help us to understand what's happening in the European Union and how that fits into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. So keep the dial set right where it is. At our website, prophecytoday.com, and you need to go there, information that will assist you in understanding the times, and it will also relate information that will help you study God's Word in light of the information you have, see how the two come together. But we also have our poll question there on the left-hand column of our homepage. You can scroll down and find it. Here is the poll question for this week. The Bible gives 38 passages of information in God's Word about the biblical borders of Israel. It also gives God's promise to the Jewish people for this land that he will give the Jewish people in the last days. Now, here's the question. Could we then conclude that the continuing conflict surrounding the land for the Jewish people in the Middle East 
is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Please go to our website and answer that poll question. You'll assist us in our thinking and understanding how we need to teach you what God's Word has to say. By the way, when you're at the website, you can get information about our tour that's going to Israel. Joshua Travel is where you go to find out that information, the dates, the times, the prices, the itinerary, etc. Again, the poll question at prophecytoday.com and information about our tour upcoming to Israel. And then we have so many other conferences going on, one in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Boy, you need to come and be a part of all of these things that are happening as it relates to the Prophecy Today ministry. Again, the place where you can find out that information, prophecytoday.com. We're going to talk with Dr. Rob Congdon now. Rob is the man who keeps a focus, an eye on what's going on in the European Union, basically the entire continent of Europe, because all of that plays together in a scenario that is unfolding that has a really interesting connection to the scenario found in Bible prophecy for the end of the times. Uh, This is why we have conversations together, looking at the political in order to understand how the prophetic to be very close at hand in its fulfillment. Rob, let's uh, kick it off right away. And this is a really almost brand new statement coming from Mr. Baruso, who is the uh, commissioner, I guess. You'll have to tell me what his actual title is. He's a major player in the European Union in the three different aspects of it, the council, which would be the 27 member states, the commission, and then uh, the parliament itself. But he made the statement that the euro has weathered the debt storm. In other words, the economic crisis is getting better. What do you, tell me who Mr. Baruso is again for all of our listeners to understand and then why this statement is important. Okay, well, first of all, Mr. Baruso is called President of the European Union Commission. As you said, there are three bodies, three major bodies in the European Union. The Commission is an unelected group of people They are appointed from each country, one from each country, so there are 27 what they call ministers in the commission or commissioners. He is president of this body, and in many ways it is the most powerful body in the European Union. They certainly control major uh, policies and the economics in many ways. Obviously there are interconnections with the other two groups, but when he speaks you're basically hearing probably, in my opinion, the strongest voice in the European Union. He has declared that the euro, the problem is over, Um, the crisis is over. In many ways, he's right. They have taken steps in Europe that are starting to lead in the direction that would appear to be solutions. What I think he is saying strongest in his statement is the fact that there isn't a worry that the euro, that's the common currency through uh, many of the countries within the European Union, that it will continue to be that common currency. And that is vital to the plans of the EU. Without a single currency, you really can't control all the nations. So what he's really declaring is that in terms of the crisis, which has several aspects, the using the euro as the currency, there's not a worry now that it's going to disappear, which is a grave concern at the beginning. They still have a major financial hurdles to 
to deal with, and uh, that's where he intends to go from there. But he does believe at least one of the aspects of the crisis is gone. Well, Rob, is he the main player as it relates to this economic crisis in Europe and the European Union? Uh, in many ways, I think he is. Uh, you have to bring in the head of the European uh, banking, and you also have to have von Rompuy, who's the president of the council. That's another group of leaders, and uh, one-third of the houses, if you will, of the European Union. So he certainly is at least one of the three top spokesmen that deal with the finances. Therefore, what he says is important. He is, he is certainly more of a leader. I mean, he's trying to say to the people, come on, things are getting better. So part of it is to rally the people. But I think he is correct in terms of the euro itself. Uh, the rest of the crisis they will be dealing with, and uh, that's part of it, too. But when he speaks, you definitely listen. Well, meanwhile, on the sidelines there in Great Britain, in London, there is conversation that basically if they go the way that some are suggesting England would go, the European Union could actually unravel. Is that true? I mean, that's what I am reading, but is is that a threat or could it happen? Well, it's, it's a threat and it is a possibility. Uh, there is a growing anti-European Union movement within Britain itself. And uh, Cameron... Uh, Prime Minister, he is speaking and trying to politically align with those people so that he can gain their support. Uh, the bottom line is it is still not a majority in the United Kingdom that wants to leave. And what the, the EU is facing and what they will bring to bear on him is the fact that just as the United States sets a beautiful example, you can't let a union dissolve. You can't divide it. You can't. Uh, you must retain it. So um, the possibility of the British exit called Brexit uh, is very unlikely in reality, but there's a couple things we should note in terms of prophecy in the Roman Empire. Uh, England proper was part of the British, uh, the Roman Empire, but Scotland was not, and in the next year or so, Scotland is to vote whether they want to withdraw from Great Britain or the United Kingdom. If they do that, the issue will come to a head because... The question is, does Scotland stay in the EU because it was part of Britain, or does it have? can it get out? Uh, so that whole question of countries leaving the EU, uh, either through their own internal division or through the EU proper, is coming up, and we'll see it as something to watch in the next year. Well, what about the commissioners? I noticed that uh, there was talk about them being reduced. What is that all about? Well, today this commission is 27 members. That's in many ways an unruly group. Try to rule with a committee of 27 people, and we all know where that would lead. Uh, one of Germany's conservative parties, the CSU party, that's one of their political parties, uh, they have called for a smaller European commission. Since my studies of the EU would seem to indicate that the commission in reality is the power of the EU, to go from 27 to what they're suggesting is 14 commissioners suggests the very thing you and I have talked about many times is that number will have to be reduced. And, of course, we are guessing, based on Scripture, that eventually it will get down to 10 commissioners or 10 regions instead of countries ruling. So uh, this is an important point. It was only sort of tacked on most of the stories but uh, the reality is it is the thinking that we would expect to see if the EU is going to be the embryo of that final world empire of Daniel. Well, we cannot talk, Rob, without 
getting to that scenario laid out in God's Word. Well, there's more coming to as well as we continue our conversation that would indicate what is happening in the European Union is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, remind me, and I think I'm correct, and let me just rehearse it with you so our listeners can eavesdrop on this. Uh, Number one, you have the council, which is the 27 member states, the commission, and the council headed up by Van Rompuy, the commission headed up by Barusa, who we've already talked about, and those are people appointed, 27 commissioners, and now you're saying they're going to reduce it, or would like to, to 14, and then you have the parliament. But do we not have at least every six months a change of a temporary presidency of the council with different members of the 27 member states? Yes, we do. With the council, the 27 members are the uh, prime minister or chancellor or whoever is the ruling power of each of the 27 countries. They are automatically put on the council. The council itself rotates every six months which of those countries is the president of the council. Now, this is kind of a leftover from the old treaties because uh, Herman Van Rompuy has become the council president that continues. He continues for a period of years uh, as a permanent president. Ironically, they also have this six-month president. So the six-month president has lost significant power under the new EU treaty, but there still is a, a real influence. And as of January 1st, the Prime Minister of Ireland, I believe he's a Prime Minister is his title, has uh, taken over as President of the Council. So this is a significant uh, role in terms of not only a figurehead, but it can, can, not like it used to, but it still can influence some of the thinking and the actions of the EU. Well, I've got information coming out of Israel that this is bad news as far as the Jewish state is concerned, with Ireland taking over that temporary presidency for six months of the European Union. Why would that be the case? Well, that's absolutely true. Um, When we speak of Ireland, we're speaking of the Republic of Ireland. That's the southern, perhaps eight-tenths of that island. On the north is Northern Ireland, which is part of Britain. Northern Ireland, and we get into a lot of history here, Northern Ireland was Protestant, is Protestant, and has strongly opposed the Republic of Ireland, which is Roman Catholic. The two have fought for years and years, and they call it the Troubles. Here's where Israel comes in. Northern Ireland, the people of Northern Ireland have a real affinity to the people of Israel because they see similar pressures on Israel from the Arab world that Northern Ireland, the Ulstermen, see from the Republic of Ireland. So the Republic of Ireland has always been opposed to Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland has helped Israel. They've helped them medically. They've helped them every way they can. They're very supportive of Israel. Therefore, the Republic must oppose Northern Ireland, and because of that, they're also going to oppose Israel, which in a sense you could almost call an ally of Northern Ireland. So what we see is the tensions within an island of these two people groups is paralleled in how the Republic is treating Israel. Uh, Always remember, the Republic of Ireland started and sent a small group of people from the Republic into Northern Ireland, which eventually generated the tensions, and the ultimate goal is to occupy Northern Ireland by the Republic. So too the Arab world and Israel. The parallels are total, and we see it in their foreign policies. Wow, you know, 
God brought human government into existence over in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. He has used human government throughout history. Revelation 17, 17 says he again will use human government in the future to accomplish his will. And we, as we have these conversations, can see all of this coming together. Well, Rob, it's always a joy to be able to talk to you, my good friend. Thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Lord bless. You know, a conversation with Dr. Rob Congdon can never take place without each of us talking about the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. What we see happening in the European Union is absolutely setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You need to study God's Word and come to an understanding. We have a brand new organization. It's called PASS, P-A-S-S, Prophetic Army of Senior Saints. We're trying to raise up people who, well, you know, they're in their senior years. They're finished with work. They have their own support already, their retirement. And it's an opportunity for them to have a ministry to teach Bible prophecy. Some of the churches are not doing it. We can do it this way. May I suggest you go to our website and double-click on Pass and find out the information. Come along and join us. We'll teach you how to study Bible prophecy, learn it, and then teach it itself. Hey, I'm going to have to take a break right now. When I come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
On Prophecy Today weekend, we had reports from our broadcast partners around the world with details behind the headlines and each one of our broadcast partners giving us more information so that we can better understand the times in which we're living. Ken Timmerman was in Washington, D.C. We talked with Ken about the Iranian war games going on in the Persian Gulf. We talked about President Morsi of Egypt saying that Israel will cease to be in a decade. The Iranians have spies, a network that is here in America, and Christianity seems to be disappearing in the Middle East. Those are the subjects we covered with Ken Timmerman. David Dolan gave us our Middle East news update. We talked about Fatah, one of the factions of the Palestinian Authority, celebrating 48 years of terrorism. We also talked about a Jordanian minister, a member of the Jordanian government, saying that Israel is preparing to build a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And the Israeli population is now at 6 million Jews out of 14 million Jews around the world. That's a significant number, has a great connection to Bible prophecy. Itamar Marcus, who heads up the Palestinian Media Watch, said that Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, is looking to 2013 as the year of Palestinian independence. In fact, Fatah and Hamas had a celebration of what has been going on for the last 48 years of terrorism. They did that down in the Gaza Strip. Mahmoud Abbas went down there to praise the terroristic acts that they have been involved in with the armed struggle trying to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. And he also reported that the Palestinians they are saying, will outnumber the Jews by 2020. He doesn't believe that is correct. Winky Madad, we talked about the Jews having a historic and biblical right to the land of Israel. You know, Israel is about to annex the area of Judea and Samaria. What does that mean? Winky explains it to us when you listen to that conversation or re-listen to it. And he talked about the Jewish settlements, an obstacle to war, not an obstacle to peace. Then Dr. Rob Congdon gave us our European Union update. He says the euro has weathered the economic storm in Europe. Looks like they're going to get better from here on. London may brain down the European Union, by the way. And Ireland's presidency of the European Union is not good for Israel. These are all reports from our broadcast partners. If you missed any of them, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. There at PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, it's radio when you want it, when you can listen to it at your convenience. You can listen to each and every one of these conversations. And may I suggest you please tell a friend about what these broadcast partners brought to the table in our broadcast. It will help each and every one of them as well understand the times in which we're living. Remember, we report the political Not to be a news reporting organization, but to show you how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word to be fulfilled. Again, we're not in the news business, except to compare the news with prophetic passages that can be found in the Word of God. Well, that is how we report the information to you. Let's now see if we can bring the two together, these current events in light of what Bible prophecy says. If you have a few minutes, uh, let me share with you God's Word uh, as it relates to what Winky had to say uh, about the connection between the Jews, now listen to this phrase, between the Jews, the land, and the Bible. That's very key. 
There is a connection between the Jews, the land, and the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 34, 18 times the Lord says, I will. I will find my people wherever they have been scattered. I will gather them into the land that I promised to give them. I will feed them like a good shepherd feeds his flock in the pasture. This is a very important passage of Scripture. Eighteen times the Lord makes a statement to Ezekiel, a promise of what he is going to do. You know, if God says it one time, I believe it, it settles it for me. If he says it eighteen times, we had better be paying attention. In chapter 37, he talks about the valley of dry bones. Chapter 37 and verse 7, he says, the bones will come together. Verse 8 says the flesh will come on the bones. And verses 9 and 10 says the flesh-colored bones will be filled with the breath, the life that they will need. That's a three-part passage of Bible prophecy. The bones coming together, that's the regathering of the Jewish people from all around the world. The flesh coming on the bones, well, that's the restoration of a Jewish state. And of course, when you talk about the breath of life being breathed in to these flesh-covered bones, we're talking about regeneration for the Jewish people. Two out of three parts of that Bible prophecy are at least in the process of being fulfilled. The bones are coming together out of 108 nations of the world. Jews are in the land. They have been restored as a nation, and many are coming to know Christ. But in that tribulation period to come, that's when many more Jews will come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior as well. Chapter 35 talks about a people who will come up killing the Jewish people and stealing their land. That's talking about the Palestinian people. And Ezekiel 35 is a major passage, a prophecy dealing with that. Chapter 38, the alignment of the nations and how a group of nations, the lowest common denominator, they're Islamic, they're gathered all around the Middle East. They will form this coalition to come and try to destroy the Jewish state. It'll happen, chapter 38, verses 8 and 11. At a time of peace, when the Jews are dwelling safely in the land, that only happens after the Antichrist has come back and set up a pseudo-peace. There are 202 verses, chapters 40 to 46, detailed information about a temple that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will build. You know, the Davidic covenant, Second Samuel 7, promises Jerusalem as the capital for the Jewish people, a temple there, and the Messiah to rule and reign from that temple. But for the Davidic covenant to be fulfilled, Jews have to be in the land. God promised this land to the Jewish people. He is going to give them this land, and then he's going to make them a nation. They must be in the land as a nation, and basically in unbelief. And this is what we're talking about. This broadcast is evidence of how that is the case. Winky Madad brought to our attention, the Jews have a historic and biblical promise, and they have a right, biblically and historically, to be in the land of their forefathers. Well, the Jews in the land are tangible evidence of what God is indeed going to do. But let me remind you, before he fulfills all the prophecies we've been talking about from the book of Ezekiel, the rapture of the church is going to take place. And with what we've talked about today on the broadcast, you must realize the rapture is about to happen, and it could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 